We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 105. Our guest today is yet another amazing example that a lot of hard work and a lot of consistency can really get you far in this sport. What I especially love about our guest is she really put herself on the path of success, and you see that as you look from her early ages and just the trajectory to where she is today. She worked with some top trainers. She had numerous wins in the equitation division, including a gold medal in the USET final. She was recruited to compete for the University of Georgia equestrian team, where she received tons of national titles and All-American honors. And then when she turned professional, she found a way to work for amazing Olympic athletes like Eric Lamaze and Ben May and also world-renowned horse dealer Neil Jones. Now she is based in the U.S., bringing up her own training business and building in a way to have even more success. So let's hear it from our guest today, Carly Anthony. Would love to jump right into it. How did you first get into the equestrian world? What did that kind of look like? Growing up, my mom was a professional as well in the industry. She had a farm in Seattle, Washington called Pot Creek Meadow Farm, and I grew up riding there and couldn't even remember the first time I sat on a horse, but as I'm pretty sure as long as I could hold my head up on my own, I think yep. my parents put me on. So that's how I got started. Awesome. So you have been riding forever. At what point do you remember a decision in your head that you're like, okay, I'm, I want to like do this. I want this to be my career. Was that, was that ever the kind of idea when you were little? Were you thinking of different paths? What did that kind of look like for you? Growing up, my parents also wanted to, me to be very well-rounded. So they encouraged my sister and I to play lots of other sports. Uh, and I was quite passionate about basketball. And I'd say about sophomore year of high school, I had to decide if I wanted to pursue basketball or pursue riding more seriously because at that point with school and how much time it took to do both sports, it was getting quite uh, challenging. So I'd say around um, 15 or 16 years old, I I thought, you know what, I think I need to, I really like riding. I'm going to give this everything I've got and see where it takes me. And because of that, I was able to get um, a scholarship at the University of Georgia on their equestrian team, which helped, you know, get me into a great university. And that's been going nonstop ever since. Yeah, so cool. Rewinding a little bit, did you do the typical, like, ponies and like junior hunters and equitation or did you do mostly jumpers throughout your young years we my sister and I had one or two ponies but not not so much in the pony world Mm -hmm. Uh, we've primarily focused a lot in the equitation and jumpers we had a few children's hunters here there but that wasn't really ever my um, passion I didn't really enjoy doing that but I Loved doing the equitation. Uh, I trained with Karen Healy growing up and would fly down to California to get my butt kicked um, (laughs) all the time. (laughs) And uh, then once I turned 
18, I've also focused a lot more uh, in the jumpers because obviously the age group back was no longer a possibility for me. So I switched over to the jumpers once I became an amateur, if you will. Yeah. What was that transition like for you? I mean, obviously it's a whole different ball game, especially if you're you're used to doing the big Eck and then having to switch gears to the jumpers. Yeah, it was it wasn't too hard of a transition just because, you know, I we were doing the you said finals and a lot of the equitation is um based on being that bridge into the jumpers, you know, giving really? you a foundation so that you can continue on and in theory, into the Olympic level of, of riding. So it wasn't too hard. I did have a tremendous amount of fear of heights in the beginning and making mistakes, which I think, you know, came from having to be so precise and perfect in the equitation. So mm-hmm. at a, at jumping the junior jumpers or the IAOs or whatever, the Grand Prix, uh, I really had to work on getting over my fear of messing up because at that height, you just have to go in there and do the best you can. If you miss, you miss. That's you're not going to lose because you missed. You're going to lose because you had to reel down. And so that took me, that took me a little while to get over. But overall, I, I think the transition wasn't too too challenging. So did it take a lot of time for that transition for you, or that kind of like going past that mental block of of fear of messing up in the ring? I would say uh, practice makes things a lot easier the more you do the things you're uncomfortable with the easier it seems to get so I would say I owe a lot of that practice and butt kicking to Eric Lamaz Uh, he really pushed me out of my comfort zone made me work on the things that I wasn't good at and um, you know after however many years seems like forever that I was working for him. All those fears ended up turning into confidence. So it wasn't until after um, college, I would say, that I started getting a lot more confident in the jumper ring. And of course, going to college and riding on the team there and winning a national championship and getting all Americans every year definitely also gives you a certain amount of confidence. Confidence to go in and win a national championship in the equitation is a different type of confidence to going in and trying to win the Grand Prix, but yeah. it's a, it's a start, but I would say those two, those two things definitely helped a lot. Definitely. How would you explain your college experience riding on a team? I loved it. It's not for everybody, yeah. but because I was always uh, a way it shows in high school and wasn't the best test taker. I, I liked school, but I just wasn't very good at taking exams, no matter how hard I studied. So I didn't have the best grade. So for me to be able to get into a great university, I needed to ride on a team. And I went to visit UGA on a recruiting trip and I fell in love with it there. And I I loved it. I recommend it to all the juniors that are graduating from high school that are contemplating whether or not to go mm-hmm. to, to school. I highly recommend it because you get four more years to you know, test the waters, make mistakes, um, grow up, learn, Mm -hmm. become much more well-rounded. And, you know, you're given so many different opportunities in college that if you just go straight into the profession that you wouldn't otherwise have. And to work with the group of girls there as well, it's a mixture of being in a sorority combined with, you know, similarity to 
good team when you travel to Nations Cups. So, you know, it's good. It's good. You learn how to people management, how to work with different other, you know, people. Because on my team, there was around 75 girls. So there was a lot of different types of people you had to gel with. And I, I got along very well with the coach. You, you, it's just you get to learn a lot of things that this sport, unless you're on the Nations Cup team, doesn't or is not able to provide. And I, I highly recommend it for anyone that's considering it. Awesome. So once you graduated college, where was your mindset at going into a professional career was by the time you graduated were you like gung-ho were you like okay this is my thing I'm this gonna be my full-time job what was that like for you so I knew I wanted to be a professional the minute I decided at 15 or 16 that I needed to focus more on riding so that I was like okay this is what I'm gonna do so Mm -hmm. even throughout college that was my main focus at the end when I graduated to get you know into the into the business I studied that was my major was business management I wanted to learn as much as I could about how to you know manage my own business and all of that but that was my end goal I would say what helped me after graduating from university and going into being a professional and going to my first job as a professional and what have you was the EAP the emerging athletes program okay so that that I participated in my senior year of high school slash entry in college, so freshman year of college. That was the inaugural year that they had it, and Ricky Neal and I won it that year. And what was offered was the winners got to spend four weeks with the trainer of their choice, all expenses paid to go, you know, ride with the professionals of their dreams. And of oh. course I, I couldn't do that because I was on the equestrian team. So none of my <laughs> things could be paid for. No. <laughs> but I said, I want to ride with, I want to ride for Eric Lamaze. So if it's okay, you know, you don't have to pay for anything. I'll go and work, you know, I'll, I'll muck out stalls for free. I'll do everything for free and no, you know, but if you can just, you know, explain to him that I've won this and that's why I'm calling him, hopefully he'll accept. Yeah. So I, that's how it all started. So I met him in Spruce that year, hung out, did all the, you know, jobs that nobody else wanted to do, clean the Mm -hmm. stalls, you know, do everything. And I did that every uh, summer of college until I graduated and coming into my uh, final semester of college, I, I called him up and I said, okay, I'm graduating now. Now you get to pay me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's how it all started. There was no hesitation. I didn't need any time off. I literally graduated and the next day got in my car and off I went. So I was excited. There's no, you know, no question that I was questioning whether or not that I was making the right decision. Mm-hmm. I loved every, I loved every minute of it and I was excited to get going. Cool. And then how long did you work for him for? After I graduated, I worked for him for three more years all over, all over the world. 
Very cool. And then at that point, did you decide that you wanted to start doing stuff on your own? After that, I went and I worked for Poden Farms and Ben Mayer for a year in England. I really found after working for Eric that I had a tremendous passion for producing horses from start to finish, not necessarily foals. Um, That takes quite a it's hard to do foals and Grand Prix. I think, you know, when you start them at five, I think that's what gets easier to be able to do both. Yeah. But I had a really great time taking Eric's young horses and producing them for him and um, getting them to the level that he could go and compete and win. So that um, that same opportunity was presented to me at Potent Farm. So I, I took that for a year. And then after that, then I decided that... Um, it's time to, you know, see see what I got. Yeah, you know, try to try to make it on my own. At that point, were you like super ready and eager? Were you like freaking out a little bit of going off on your own? What was that like? Um. So I. <laughs> so for a year, I did a little bit of like a detour still trying to do my own thing but I moved to Spain for a year and started my business there Uh, I was riding for somebody there and I had my I had a sales horse of mine and I had a client that I was training so my business started out there and I decided after after that move that if I really wanted to take it seriously and accomplish the, the goals that I really had set out for myself that I needed to just do my best and, and come home and mm-hmm. give it give it all I've got out here. I thought I would be able to have the business that I wanted out there and I was seeing somebody at the time that lived out there. So I thought it was all possible, but I didn't realize how badly I wanted to be successful or you know successful on my own terms of success I didn't realize how badly I wanted that until I'd been over there for a year and it just I wasn't satisfied enough so that's when I moved back to the states I'd been over there for five years I moved back and I called Neil Jones and here we are (laughs) amazing and then as a part of the business now are you still doing a lot of the producing horses aspect yeah so I have uh, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a nine-year-old, and just bringing them along. I mean, nine's not terribly young, but, you know, for this business, and if you're jumping at a meter 60, um, nine, you know, nine's yeah. young enough. So, yeah, I, I really enjoy bringing them along, and that's for me, that's how you grow a great relationship with them is by overcoming all of the obstacles together, you know, whether they're hard obstacles or, you know, just things that need time or patience or experience, you know, doing that together is what really makes that special bond. And for me, that's, that's what I uh, find the most joy in is to have that relationship with those horses from all of those experiences and yeah so I've I'm feeling very fortunate that I do have that opportunity in my business today yeah and they're with with great horses I mean I I could not be any um, happier with the team that I have and I also find that same joy in in teaching as well for people 
that, yeah, for people that, that want it, I feel like I find the, the same amount of joy in doing that as well. It's the same, same kind of challenge. Yeah, totally. Which I mean, I'm trying to produce riders and horses. Yeah, no, really. And I mean, I think that more and more people are talking about this within the industry, but I think for so long as a professional, you have these expectations where you have to be an amazing rider. You have to be an amazing teacher. You have to be like, you know, there's just this almost misconception that you have to be good at all the different facets of the business. And it's honestly rare for someone to equally love the like riding and the producing and then also the teaching and training. It seems to be one or the other sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I would say if I had to pick, obviously riding and producing my horses is going to be the most fun of my day teaching is the um, facilitator of those of my joy totally yeah yeah I have to teach in order to ride my horses but I love when my riders come out of the ring after having a great round knowing that they've put in all of that hard work to you know, produce the result that they just got. And that's just as satisfying because I get, I get just as nervous watching them go into the ring as I have to go. So it is, it is hard. I think there is a perception that you have to be good at everything. And I think nobody's good at everything, Mm -hmm. but I think if you are great at what you're passionate about and do your best for the things, you know, for the rest of it, that's, Mm -hmm all anybody can ever ask. And I, I think that's also why you see a lot of head trainers with assistants or partners that are, you know, better at the things that the other isn't as good at. Totally. Uh, and I think that's why, yeah, that's why you have a team because mm-hmm. one person can't, can't do it all. Yeah, exactly. Definitely not enough hours in the day. Hold that thought. I wanted to take a minute to talk about our podcast sponsor. The Tried Equestrian is the ultimate online consignment destination for the modern rider, bringing you tack, apparel, footwear, and accessories at seriously unbeatable prices. Their selection of both brand new and lightly used items are updated daily and features all of your favorite brands such as Tailored Sportsman, Parlanti, CWD, Oglavy, Cavalleria Toscana, and so many more. And they're up to 80% off the retail prices. You can shop or you can sell yourself and request a free consignment kit at triedequestrian.com. You can also use code podcast15 for 15% off your first purchase. Thank you so much, Tried Equestrian. Let's head back to the episode. I want to rewind a little bit and talk a little bit, obviously, where your passion lies in producing horses. Let's say you are doing a little horse shopping or hunting. What are some things that, what are some qualities that you would look for in a young horse that you really gel with? I would say for me, everybody has a different checklist. I like the, what Katie Prudent once said, it was that she likes to try to see that they have heart. And I, I really like I like that a lot. I thought that was mm-hmm. such an interesting article that she wrote about what she looks for in horse trying. I like a few things. They have to have a nice canner. They have to be nice to ride. And growing up as a kid of a professional, when I go and try a horse, I have to always think of it as even if I'm not going to resell it, you know, how it would be for resale. So it has to be easy enough for anybody to ride or you know, it can be green and I can make it better, but the foundation of it has to be 
fairly straightforward. The canner has to be nice. It has to do lead changes. For me, I love a careful horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need end scope. I feel like that's something I can always help with. I think that's a little bit what I learned from Eric. But if I'm looking as a resale horse, they also all, they have to be more scopy than they are careful. So I think as long as they have a nice canner and those qualities uh, and they're not bad to look at, I think yeah. that's a good a good starting point for, totally. <laughs> for what I look for in a horse. Yeah, absolutely. When you are first starting out with a young horse, obviously it must di- the the process must differ from horse to horse based on what they're where they're at and what their needs are and what you are looking to do with them. But what do you have a little bit of a routine or kind of series that you go through with your young horses as you're developing them? As you said, it's all horse dependent. So mm-hmm. every horse has a different character, traumas, tribulations. They've right. they've all have a different history. So I take my time getting to learn them. I I like to start with all of them in a slow twist steering and change from there. Okay. I think that gives me a good understanding of what I'm working with. And most of it's just based on feel for me. That's the hard that's the hard part to explain. Um, yeah. But I go based on my my feeling, and then you really get to know what what they're lacking and where they're confident the minute you go into the ring. So from from there, you know what to work on. So I usually start depending on their age, but seven or up. I, I like to start in like a one thirty and do one or two classes to get an idea of what we need to work on if I haven't figured that out already mm-hmm. and um, and then go from there and some learn much faster than others some horses respond better to your training than others it's you know it's it's from then it's just all horse horse dependent on totally Yeah. I think that that's something that is really cool to hear when certain professionals have such a good handle on the idea that you really need to, to train and guide the horses on a like case by case situation that there isn't like a one size fits all training program that works because they're just all different. They have different character and personality and amount of drive. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's good to have structure. So, you know, things, a checklist of things you can go over while you're riding. And, you know, if I do, my horses all have to be broke on the flat. So what does that mean? Well, they all have to go forward, backwards, left, right counter canter leads you know there's a certain level of fundamentals that they have to do mm-hmm. so if they don't do that that's my first step is installing those buttons okay. um and then the more finite buttons are installed after that but how to get there and what their weak points are that's all that's all different what are some of your favorite exercises to do whether it's on the flat or even just like small um poles or cavaletti or grid work what are what are some kind of your go-to exercises i love whether it's you can make it poles cavalettis or jumps but just three verticals in a row like a 4 to a 4 or 5 to a 5 mm-hmm. and just adjusting you can gallop down in four and four you can make it five and five you can do you know five and six and Mm -hmm. there are so many different variations but you find it so hard for them to 
depending on the horse. I have one horse that has a hard time leaving a stride out and then coming back. I have one that has a very hard time just going straight down the middle. (laughs) You know, a drunken sailor down the Uh line. I have one, you know, that it trying to land the same lead the whole time. I just feel like for for any issue you may have, that is such a great line to just work yeah. on all the basics. And you can start pull bloody herb, you know, put it up, Eric. Eric yep. used to um, tell me my I had horrible upper body control in the air, so he would put the jumps up to a meter fifty verticals, and I had to <laughs> hold on for dear life and learn how to hold my body better. Wow, so yeah. you know, it's good for the. It's good for the riders too. So that exercise, I I really love. I did an exercise this past week actually with the with my friend Sean Cassidy. We set up a combination in the middle of the ring and then made uh, a four stride line after that, and then bending like two bending lines. Yeah. Um, so you could you know like a big butterfly that you could do. So there's there's lots of fun things I like doing but for sure that straight line four to four or five to five that pretty much tells you what you also need to keep working on Mm -hmm. I had one yeah the one horse that didn't go straight now I did that at least once a week pulls (laughs) or jumps and she is now going much straighter (laughs) all right love it yeah it's funny how there's exercises like that that totally just reveal the okay yep this is definitely what we need to work on It's great. It's fantastic. I I love it because then it you know it it keeps things fun and, and interesting. And on every horse, you don't have the same problem, right? So it doesn't get boring. Exactly. That's what that's something that I, that I always tell my clients. I'm like, if horses were perfect and we were perfect, like it wouldn't be fun anymore. Like it just it totally no. keeps it, keeps you on your toes. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Tell me a little bit uh, about yeah. an area of the industry that you are passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about. Well, after chatting with you, I didn't even realize that this was something that I felt so strongly about, but I'd, I'd say that the EAP is definitely something that is under, still underrated. I'd say it's picked up a lot more over the years, and with the help of the um, LMC fund, it's been able to become a little bit better known, but the got me going. It's what got me connected to Eric. It gave me the opportunity to be the professional that I am today Mm -hmm. and even with my mom as a professional you know and all the resources we had that helped me so much get me to where I am and I think it's definitely not valued enough for what it is and I don't think many kids take take advantage of the opportunity and I know that Lindsay Maxwell is doing her part to promote it as best as she can, and she's doing an exceptional job. But I'd like to also do as much as I can to promote it because it is. It's a, it's a great thing. You get to clinic with incredible professionals. You get to learn from great barn managers and vets and farriers. It's like a whole thing, all-inclusive learning experience that you don't – that's not offered anywhere else. Mm-hmm. and it's it's a great opportunity for any kid, whether they come from a, a training, you know, a professional family or not. It's 
it's fantastic. And while we don't have school, if you will, like they do in Europe, you have to have a certificate for training and teaching. We don't have that. Mm -hmm. I think this is an incredible gateway for that. So there's a lot of, there's a lot to offer from or take away from the EAP that I think is not being utilized. For people listening who aren't super familiar with the program, can you give a kind of, again, a little rundown or like how people can get more info or get involved or apply or be a part of the process? Yeah, I believe it's through the USHCA that it's organized. When I did it, like 10 years ago, (laughs) when I did it, they had different clinics around the country that you could apply for. And there were, I believe, three levels of clinics. And then there was the final. So you had your first clinic. And then out of the, you know, three groups of people that were at that clinic, the professional that was giving that clinic chose the top, however many from that to to go on to the next level of clinics Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And then the final, the final EAP clinic was just a select group that the you know cl- clinicians all picked to go to I think it was uh, Maplewood it was in Nevada and that was three days and they did a mock team and you had to catch right all the horses that were um, donated to the program cool. and show up and muck your stalls and do all of that and it was it was awesome. It was a very cool wow. experience, and, and you got to be taught it. I remember Joe Fargis was one of the clinicians, and cool. Mindy Bauer, and yeah, lots of lots of great people. So cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it isn't talked about very often, and it's something that is is really. I mean, I feel like sometimes in the industry, young riders can get a little bit discouraged if they are, you know, just try. They have that drive and they want to make it and they want to do this as at a professional level, but don't quite, you know, maybe they don't have the connections or they don't really know exactly how to take that next step. And I feel like a program like this is is such a good fit for someone like that. Oh, it's fantastic. It's for ex- exactly that reason. I think it's it's fantastic. But I find too, if people do, I, I will say kids do get discouraged, but my, rec- my recommendation to those kids is to not get discouraged and to keep pushing, keep mm-hmm. asking if people need help. And if you want to go and work for somebody for a week or mentor or do something, do not hesitate. The worst anybody will ever say is no. What's that going to do to you? Nothing. So go and ask. I mean, I was, I dreamt of meeting and working with BG Madden and for my spring break one, one year, I called them up and I asked if I could come over to meet them at one of the shows and whatever muck stalls or do whatever and they had me out for two weeks uh, in Tampa wow what uh what an opportunity but you don't know unless you ask so Mm -hmm. to those kids that don't feel like they can ask or they don't feel that they're good enough the only way to get better is by asking and and doing your research if you persevere you will get it Mm -hmm. no matter what Absolutely. And the beauty of this industry is that you don't have to have, you don't have to be at your peak or have your life together at 22. You have a little bit more time than a lot of other sports where you can really develop and grow and learn. 
And I mean, I feel like you are living proof of that. If you want something bad enough, you're going to find a way to make it happen. Yep. And I mean, trust me, there are, there are days that make you question it, but there's also days that you realize that there's nothing else that you'd rather be doing and mm-hmm. all that hard work and all that lack of sleep and smelling <laughs> like horse poop was all worth it because, you know, you win the Grand Prix or mm-hmm. you sell the horse to somebody that's going to love it forever or yeah. your client wins its class or, you know, doesn't go off course. <laughs> right. <laughs> Little wins. <laughs> yeah. It's good with the bad, but, you know, do you stick it out? That in the end of the day is what makes it all worth worthwhile. Absolutely. Well, Carly, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I had so much fun and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for having me again. I really appreciate it. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.